a subject near and dear to my heart. What should Boston do? Before we even jump in, a little bit of, of context. The Celtics, obviously post the Brooklyn deal, uh, really set themselves up well for the future. All the pick swaps with the Nets. Um, and they netted, no pun intended, um, I would say two all-stars, right, um, between Tatum and Brown. Uh, one, maybe perennial one, I would say a pseudo, which means they make three to five all-star appearances. But nonetheless, they got two talents um, that are better than Chris Middleton, right, um, in, uh, in the deal with the Nets as part of the three picks they got and the swaps. So that's amazing. It's great. Congrats. Awesome. A couple of a couple of things though that happened along the way, as we all know, right? So Danny did squander some assets. And look, you know, he was in a position to make some risks, right? So the biggest trade he did post the Nets deal was obviously the Kyrie Irving deal. Um, and look, it was the right deal at the time. The Celtics took a risk. Um, getting Kyrie, they were clearly a on-ball, high-usage point guard away, right? Um, and look, that situation obviously went absurdly south. But in that deal, you lose another potential all-star because Colin Sexton is playing quite well for Cleveland. I'm not saying that was the pick, but you know it was the guy that was selected with that pick, right? Um, Isaiah Thomas, who you lost, obviously is out of the league, so that was smart of Ainge to, to remove that. And the Celtics really find themselves now in, in kind of a uh, unique situation where they have young guys in Tatum and Brown. Uh, they have an old vet in Walker who's really at his last legs. His window is closed, in my opinion. And they're now kind of stuck potentially to be a middle-of-the-road team. Is it too early to say? Are they a perennial first round and out? No. But they're closer to that than they are to contending. Let's just be honest. Right? Last year, really had a good shot, beating Miami, didn't happen for them, um, and we find themselves now in a very unique, awkward scenario. So larger question is, what do you do if you're Boston? Let's examine them deeper. What are their issues? Well, first off, one of the big concerns I would have is point guard play. In the Heat series, look, uh, we always say this, right? Your strengths and weaknesses are exposed in a playoff series, right? I'll never forget, and I'm going to go really rando. But I remember when the Celtics played the Pistons in the early 2000s, and we beat them. Yeah, we. That's right. I'm part of the Celtics. What's up? Uh, we beat the Celt We beat the Pistons in, in, in five, right? I believe the Celtics were the three seed. Um, Pistons were the two seed. This is the year the Celtics um, had to come back against the Nets in game three of the Eastern Conference Finals. But, of course, lost to them in that series, and the Nets faced the Lakers. This was in 03. So, or sorry, 02, um, actually. 0102 season. So, given in, in that situation, what happened was, basically, there was a couple things that, that, that the Celtics exposed, right? But it was like a series of exposures. Uh, Kenny Anderson, first of all, an aging point guard himself, completely took Chucky Atkins to school. Okay, he ISO'd Atkins every game, right? And... You know, he was considered to be this hustle, good point guard, but, like, in the playoffs, advanced scouting is done. It all boils down to now, really, a lot of times, talent. You're playing a best-of-seven series, talent plays out. 
And the bad defenders get exposed, and the good ones continue to be good. So Kenny Anderson was just going ISO against Chucky. It was quite quite the sight. Um, and Detroit also, you know, Celtics packed the play, paint, and Detroit couldn't shoot. They couldn't shoot. It was Stackhouse and Atkins at the time. Um, and Atkins was not a good enough shooter to keep defenses honest. It's an important series to bring up because, honestly, after that series – you then saw the slew of changes that became the Pistons juggernaut for the next decade, and I think they made a bunch of changes after that. It was a Hamilton deal. They knew they had an upgrade at point guard. They made a moving up Billups, right? Um, and then, then midway through that year, they made the Sheed deal, and then obviously, you know, now now you're talking contention for Detroit, right? So the Celtics really helped catapult them into that. Did we do anything? No, but we kind of forced them to rethink their roster and change their ways, and it was an important, important loss for the Pistons. But kudos to the Pistons for realizing that, looking at the playoffs, ex- getting their weaknesses exposed, and strengthening them. I bring that up because the Celtics need to do that today. They should have done it in the offseason, but they didn't do that today. What do I mean? Their, stri- their weaknesses were heavily exposed in that Heat series, right? There was no flukes about it, okay? Did they get outplayed? Absolutely, Right? And every which way, and if if you if you dive deeper into the series, a lot of times this is a good self assessment to do, like those Pistons did. Understand as a franchise where you're at, but also understand as a roster construction what are the pieces that work, what are the pieces that don't. What happened in that series? Kemba Walker was exposed. What do I mean? The Heat continually went after him in pick and roll situations. Anytime he was in the game, they then went back to zone. He wasn't a good enough shooter to break the zone. He wasn't quick enough to then sprint into the top of the half of the zone. It was a total mess. And Kemba, honestly, is a culprit to bait. Look, he's a nice guy. I get it. We all love Kemba. But he was exposed in that series. And if the Celtics were smart and assessed themselves correctly post that series, they make a change at point guard. They make a change. Let's fast, fast forward to today. So why... Today's no different, right? Kemba's still the weak link. Okay, now I get it. The Celtics needed to showcase him a little bit. He's coming off an injury, right? Fine. But he's still the weak link, and we still need an upgrade at point guard. One of the other things I get frustrated by, and again, I'm as objective as anybody I'll ever meet, which is the least objective thing I could possibly say. But I'm fully aware of weaknesses and strengths when, when analyzing teams, and you try to do that, you know, in your own model and yourself, right? Obviously, um, it, it's a good exercise to do just to constantly try to be self-aware. Try to be self-aware, right? Um, so I need to be self-aware. So one of the one of the one of the things I always get frustrated by is when people, you know, analyze some of the Celtics players, you know, they say, well the Celtics um, are really low in the league in in uh, in attempting free throws, right? Tatum, what, he's like top, he's like 11th in field goal attempts and 32nd in free throw attempts. Jalen Brown, 20th in field goal attempts, something like that, in the 40s in field goal attempts. It must be they don't get the respect of the officials. That's what it must be. Eh, wrong. Okay? Wrong. I'm sorry. Inequity does not necessarily mean inequality. Okay? Just because you're, you're shooting more doesn't mean you're going to get to the line as much. What's your style of play? And by the way, it's not a bad thing, okay? It's good to have off-the-ball talent. 
So Tatum and Brown are guys who like to avoid contact. They don't go to the rim as much as they should. And they settle for jumpers. Tatum takes a lot of step backs. Let's just be honest. And as a result, they don't go to the line as much. It's got nothing to do with the refs. Stop it. And by the way, why is Kemba down? Because he's getting old. And his knees are shot. Okay? So he can't get to the line as much. And if you see him, he does the step back little jerky movie that he made famous in UConn. It's not going in as much. I'll tell you that. Not going in as much. Right? So look, as a result, they have themselves to blame. By not getting to the line as much. And by the way, getting to the line is critical. Again, we talked about this in the past. There are four tenements to contending teams. Four tenements. Do you need to have all four? No, but you need to be pretty good in all four. Okay? Defensive flexibility, right? That's first and foremost. You got to be, you can't be weak on defense. You got to be strong defensively, typically. You got to have enough uh, flexible defensively, you know, all the way around. There's exceptions to that rule. Hey, Tom, what about this team or that team? I'm sure. But typically, you got to have defensive flexibility. Guess what? Celtics have that. They are a good defensive team. Could they be better on the interior? Sure, but there's not that many guys I'm afraid of. They're going to kill me on the interior. They're going to bang me down low, right? I'm afraid of maybe a series against the Sixers. But again, good strategy. Let Embiid dominate, put up 40 and 20. He worked with us last year, and he still win that series, right? Indiana, do I face them in the playoffs? I don't know. They're injured. And that's about it. Maybe Giannis, but again, you, you build a wall. Uh, there's other elements that you don't necessarily have to have a a strong interior defensive presence. So the Celtics do have defensive flexibility. You need to have a good true shooting percentage. Guess what? They have that. Their true shooting percentage is good because of Tatum and Brown, mainly. Right? They 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 have high usage. They shoot an above-average clip. They get other guys involved. The Celtics shoot well. They're a pretty good shooting team. Are they amazing there? No. Can they improve? Sure. Who can't? But that's not the weak link. Turnovers. Another tenement. Don't turn the ball over. Same thing in football, by the way. Don't turn the ball over. Don't turn it over. Celtics, not bad in that. Kemba, you can improve. But again, beyond him, no one's really turning it over that much. It's not that big of a problem. And the fourth tenement fourth ten because what it is free throw rate get to the line uh beep 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 yep yeah that is the weak link getting to the line getting to the rim without Tatum and Brown doing it Walker's not doing it no one's doing it so we've identified the weakness getting to the rim we've identified the weak link Kemba Right. What do the Celtics then need is a point guard who can get to the rim. Now, look, that might sound obvious. So everyone needs that. It's not true. Not everyone needs that. Look, an ideal point guard right now for the Celtics for their uh, trajectory is probably Darren Fox. He's not available. I'm not saying he is. He would be perfect. I would love me some Darren Fox. But uh, it ain't happening. So in lieu of that, what should Boston do? Well, now we've identified the issue, but we've identified other things, right? So the Celtics have other areas to improve. We talked about, yeah, they need someone to get to the rim, but then you need to improve in every other area we just mentioned. True shooting percentage probably needs to be up a little bit. Interior play needs to be up a little bit to improve that. Defensive interior needs to be up a little bit. So 
my Celtics plan is, first of all, they're a ways away. They're not close. They're not one piece away. They're two, two, three pieces away, which is, I mean, honestly, at the end of the day, what team is not three pieces away? It's kind of a ridiculous statement. They're not three megastars away. They're three enhancements away. So what I mean by that is they don't need to create, they don't need to have another big three to, to uh, you know, make the finals. But I think they need three of the following. They need an improvement over Walker, so a version of Kemba that could get to the rim, get to the line, and kind of quarterback the team, quite frankly. And by the way, isn't a train wreck on defense, but actually is good on D. So when you're in a series, no one's, you know, picking on him and, and, and things like that. The other area they need to do is they need to have more lineups where Tatum and Brown are now moved to the to the three and two slot. Okay, and have a four that's a two-way four. The problem right now is when they move Tatum and Brown to the three and two slots, so the wing slots, they they run uh, Thompson and Tice up front. And then they're kind of not getting offense from either two. Yeah, I get it. Tice could space a little bit. Thompson could post. Give me a break. Okay, give me a break. So you're not getting you're not getting offense um, out of two of your slots. That's pretty bad, right? You could manage without one slot giving you offense, but two especially in a playoff series, that's too much to ask for, for Tatum and Brown, honestly, to, to now, um, you know, be the main uh, main guys on a lineup with uh, with two non-offensive guys, right? Brooklyn could pull that move. Celtics can. Celtics can. So they need a two-way four. And then if we're being realistic, the other enhancement, you know what? Uh, I miss Gordon Hayward. Right? Don't you? Yeah. We need a wing off the bench that can help carry the unit when Brown and or Tatum is not in. It's clearly advantageous for the Celtics to have at least two wings at every time that can run a little pick and roll. It's better. Right? Um, so you, you need two pick and roll talents, I think, at all times on the court. And, you know, even if you swapped Walker for a similar point guard, you know, he's aging. You're not going to be able to play them enough to get two pick-and-roll talents on the court at the same time. And you can't expect that power for that two-way guy you're going to get to be a pick-and-roll talent. So, they need to get all three. Now, the only way to get all three is you have to sort of move Walker, basically, who's got somewhat negative value for... I like to call this. This is my favorite term. You got to deal crap for crap, but... The crap smells nicer to you than it does to the team that has that crap, right? So what point guard does this make sense for, right? So obviously this is the, the great reveal. Um, so let's talk about the deals that, that we floated around in the past, right? You had Walker to New Orleans for Lonzo Ball, Bledsoe, and, and, and Redick. Um, I, I just don't think that does it, right? I don't think those guys are, are good enough to get you to the next level. That's a good enough point guard to get you. And Ball's a little too passive for me. I want my point guard, uh, you know, for the Celtics at least, the fit would be he gets to the line, right? So he's a score option as well. He's capable of really putting up 20 um, and being a, a crunch time guy potentially. Ball's not that guy, right? I like Lonzo Ball, by the way. I'm, I'm on Lonzo Ball Island. I don't care. But um, he's not that guy. Not that guy. Um, they could maybe do a deal like that in the three-way. Walker goes to the Pels. Those pieces go to Toronto. We've talked about Lowry a lot. I love Lowry. But, again, my fear with Lowry, as much as I love him, you might have to overpay to get him, and now you've squandered those assets 
who then need to be used on the other two things you need in order to contend. And again, this is to contend, right? To contend. So the real question is, who can you move Walker for that fits the bill that we're talking about that won't require any assets? There's only one guy, guys. Only one guy. John Wall. Yeah. What? Yes. John Wall is back. He is back. And, look, I know what's going on with Houston. But um, I I sense they're going to go through a fire sale. I don't think you're going to get offers for Wall at this stage. He's got a, a disgusting next two years left. He's got a ton of money on his deal. If you could move Walker and let's say Trisha Thompson or someone minor, and get Wall, I'm all in. I love it. And by the way, wouldn't shock me if you got a second rounder in that deal. Right? You're taking back Wall's contract, for God's sakes. So John Wall is the, the point guard to go after. As for the two-way bigs, I think now you have enough assets to make a run at an Aaron Gordon, who's been been told to be on the block. You can make a run at maybe Collins. You, you probably have to move a lot. Or, you you know, does, does Blake Griffin pass the sniff test? He doesn't for me. But Gordon or Collins would be primary targets. Probably other two-way bigs I'm not thinking about. And by the way, of the remaining pieces you could move, look, Marcus Smart's in one of those remaining pieces. I think Langford, Naismith, Smart, you know, Thompson, the Williams, right? Javante Green, Picks, TPE. Now all of those pieces, those seven pieces I mentioned, can now be in these subsequent deals. So make a move for a two-way big. And the other thing is, again, make a move for a wing off the bench that can kind of control a unit. Uh, a guy there who would be great is Evan Fournier. Can you get DeRozan on a rental? What, what's San Antonio doing? Are they trying to develop youth? DeRozan could be available. Um, and could be a great sixth man in that role, right? Um but, but those would be essentially the guys I I, uh, I look at, right? So again, but it all starts with John Wall because John Wall won't require the Celtics to unload an asset. And he could show up in a playoff series in a real way. Really show up. So that's really it. That's what the Celtics should do. They should start by going after John Wall. Access him. Get an asset in that deal. And then find yourself a two-way wing, and then maybe improve your backup wing slot. But eighth, I can't Marcus Smart play that role. Nah, no, I can't. He can't play that role. Why do you think he can? Right? I mean, like, I don't know. He's not giving you enough to, to fulfill that role. That's my take. Really appreciate you guys joining this time around. We'll see what happens at the deadline. Let's hope I'm right.